This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Wednesday afternoon, October 25th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Locking certain things away in a bank vault could create a problem for you or your heirs. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, on this Personal Finance Wednesday, a trend is emerging among younger workers, which challenges the traditional way of saving toward retirement. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park Business Business line reminding you to bring your business home is Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions based in Forest Park, author of the book, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Chris, thank you for joining us today. This is called Soft Saving. And my question about every trend story is, is this data or is this merely an anecdote? Are you seeing this now in some of your younger clients? You know, I do see it, and I always warn them, you know, you can definitely enjoy your life. You still have to live within your means. You still have to have the foundational supports in place. And by that, that I mean have enough emergency funds in case you lose your job. Make sure you have some disability insurance in place in case, God forbid, something happens in that way. You know, people often have life insurance. That's a no-brainer box that they check through their employer, but it's the the uh, discipline of having enough emergency money and disability insurance that usually gets left by the wayside. It seems like events that happen around the world and, and events in world history kind of shape a person's attitude towards finances and money. Um, you know, there are a lot of people of my my grandparents' generation who were very thrifty. I mean, even if they were even if they were successful in life and had a lot of money, uh, merely because they grew up during the Great Depression and they knew what it was like to not have any. And perhaps uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, older millennials delayed home buying because. Because they watched their parents' struggles during the great financial crisis of 16 years ago. And it seems maybe the COVID-19 pandemic and the after effects and the idea of the world shutting down and not doing anything is driving this soft-saving phenomena. Okay, I think you said something very important. Back in the day when we had grandparents saving, we also had the country that was more fiscally responsible. Fast forward to today, we have out-of-control government spending. And, you know, you look around and you say, well, geez, the rules constantly change. Like, you have no idea how much of your IRA is really yours because it's not an individual retirement account. It's an individual retirement arrangement arranged by the, the folks at in Washington who decide what the tax rates will be in any given year. So if you look at the wild spending and you figure that probably tax rates are going to rise in the future, you know, it makes for a, a, a maybe it's unspoken, but there's an underlying current that says, hey, 
they're not doing anything irresponsible. It's not to say you can't do soft savings and be responsible. I think there's a culture that says, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's enjoy life a little bit. Let's still do the responsible stuff we need to do. But have you noticed the, the change in housing, like all of the um, tiny houses that are being built around the country? People are saying, hey, let's reduce our footprint so that we can enjoy life more, not have all the extra stuff hanging over our head that makes us work harder, longer, and maybe in places we don't really like. Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park. Thank you for joining us today. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. We're living in an increasingly digital world, but there are still some physical things that people keep in a bank safe deposit box. Let's discuss some of the proper usage with Bill Ulaveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management based in Glenview, the website SenecalCapital.com. Bill, thank you for joining us today. And uh, once a year, uh, one of my assistants, Assignments as a reporter is to uh, interview the state treasurer, Michael Freyrichs, about the, uh, the the unclaimed items that they are either auctioning off or giving away. And nine times out of ten, the unclaimed items come from safe deposit boxes of which the owner has simply passed away. And they tried to you know connect it with survivors and relatives. But uh, sooner or later, it just becomes something that you can bid on uh, once a year. And is that one of the pitfalls of having a safe deposit box where you simply put the thing away for safekeeping and then forget you had it? Well, you know, I think safety deposit boxes had their place in our lives when our world was more brick and mortar. But now our life is becoming increasingly digital and things move so much faster. You know, Kiplinger recently reported that uh, banks closed 3,000 branches in 2023. So we're moving away as a world from brick and mortar businesses to fintech, where we're doing our banking on our phone. So Safety deposit boxes may be a relic of days gone by. I mean, I do see them for sale on Facebook Marketplace, uh, the equivalent of today's trade and times. But although it's probably okay to keep some collectibles and baseball, baseball cards, but I would not probably keep high value items and, and healthcare items in a safety deposit box. And we're talking about high like healthcare items, for example, uh, wills uh, or or legal documents that uh, you that may be necessary, and then you can't access them. Exactly. You know, I found it really interesting that there are no federal laws really governing safety deposit boxes. So while it appears as though all your documents are safe, what you don't want to keep in a safety deposit box are items that you're going to need quickly. For example, power of attorney for healthcare, uh, if or if you are your, your letter of will or letter of instructions of how you would like the will executed. You know, you can't, you have to make sure also that you're, you're not the sole person whose name is on the safety deposit box because your, you know, your beneficiaries or your trusted advisors, your trusted contact, they will not have access to it when you need it most. So we don't recommend that you keep an original copy of your will. Perhaps you keep it on record or on file with your attorney um, make sure that your executor perhaps already has copies of everything. And at the very least, they should have legal access to these documents. Because if you're in the hospital, you're incapacitated, or God forbid you've already passed away, you know, your estate needs to move on for the benefit of your loved ones, of your beneficiaries. And you can't keep these timely items locked up where nobody can get them. 
I mean, it does seem like this is part of a larger discussion that you should probably have with your family. Uh, maybe just kind of game out who needs access to what uh, in the event that you just simply disappear, uh, whether uh, uh, you pass away or or maybe uh, uh, you've been you've been spirited away by a passing spaceship. Whatever the the circumstances are, if you're not here, uh, your relatives will need access to uh, vital information, and maybe a safe deposit box is not the place to put it. Well, experts are recommending that you have a fireproof safe at home that's bolted to the floor or the walls, something that's really secure and not just a feeling of security. So it's, you know, you kind of, each person has to judge for themselves. You have to find the perfect balance between security and convenience. And remember, banks are closed nights, some weekends, natural disasters, holidays. So when you really think about it, banks are not the go-to place to go to in the event of an emergency. So you want to keep those documents safe but close at hand. On the other hand, if you uh, find yourself in possession of a Nolan Ryan rookie card, that goes to the bank. <laughs> well, okay, I'll go with, I'll roll with that if you're, if, if that's a collectible item. Uh, I'm, but listen, most people put in things that they feel are valuable, like too much cash just in case that's eroding at 4% or 5% inflation. People keep their firearms and and, and explosives, you know, ammunition in a safety deposit box, which is prohibited, you know, definitely prohibited. Uh, you have to remember that the safety deposit box, while, again, individual and safe, is also not really governed by very many rules. And as banks change hands and close branches, you may have a complete stranger opening up your safety deposit box to see what's in there or confiscate uh, and bring to uh, to the treasurer's office, as you were saying, you know, all these unclaimed billions of dollars that are sitting around in Illinois somewhere. Well, Bill, uh, thank you for that valuable advice, especially for those of us who have like grenades in a safe deposit box somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, <laughs> thank you for joining us today. Bill Ulivari, owner of Cynical Capital Management based in Glenview. Find him online, cynicalcapital.com. Coming up next, a guide to early decision in the college application process. As high school seniors prepare to make their college decision, one of the options they have is early decision. Let's learn about it on the Noon Business Hour from Deb Donnelly, independent educational consultant at debdonleycollegecounseling.com. Deb, thank you for joining us today. Early admission, early decision. Uh, this is the time when those uh, letters come home telling uh, college students or prospective college students, high school seniors, that uh, they got into the college of their choice. And one thing you have to remember, it seems like, if you do make that commitment relatively early, that uh, is it binding? Can, are, are there takebacks allowed? There are not. Thank you for having me, Rob. It's, it's good to talk to you again. There are two plans you're talking about. One is early admission, which is non-binding. Students typically, um, with a few exceptions, can apply early action and not have to show up. But early decision uh, means your dollars are committed. I like to st tell students, if you apply early decision, if admitted, you're committed. And what are some of the advantages of, of early decision? Early decision was actually started decades ago by colleges in an effort to enroll or to control their enrollment management. They wanted to know who would show up. Um, typically, students go early decision um, as long as they know this is the school for them. It's the first school in their head and their heart. And the advantage is that they may have a slight edge in admission, 
Um, the disadvantage is that traditionally families may be on the hook for um, full freight or full cost of attending that university. But students should know that's the school for them. Parents need to agree. Cost needs to be reasonable for the family finances. And the student needs to also have done enough research to know that there isn't another school out there that is exactly or better, a better fit than this particular institution. All very heady decisions, and it seems uh, almost uh, unbelievable that we're putting them on the head and shoulders of a 17-year-old, even though I went through this 26 years ago. And my guess is you did it well. Um, it is it is a huge commitment. Um, in fact, in my 40-plus years of working in secondary and higher education, I've only known of one student who was released from an ED commitment um, based on family situations. Um, it just isn't done. So students have to know. In fact, there's a form that students and parents and the school counselor all sign which indicate that everyone knows the severity or the commitment of this decision. It's a big deal. Yeah. And then very quickly, I mean, this is also the time when a lot of families are trying to make the math work and uh, hustling scholarships and other forms of aid. Um, does You mentioned that uh, early decision. There's a financial commitment involved in that. Does that mean you're foregoing some scholarships or grants or, or other forms of knocking that tuition cost down uh, by going early? Typically, no, um, but this year provides some particular roadblocks for families because the Congress has decided to simplify the financial aid form, which frankly means it may not be out till late later in December. So families are committing to colleges with a ballpark idea as to how much money they'll be eligible or they should receive from the state, the college, um, which is all coordinated by the college and potentially the federal government. So this year will be particularly challenging for financial aid officers. There is a form called the CSS profile that financial aid officers who participate in that by using that form will have a better ballpark. Um, but, but again, ED is traditionally used by private universities. They can be the most expensive. Um, they're not, students are not typically foregoing. You're not going to be penalized by going early decision and not be eligible for dollars. Um, in fact, there's one school this year that will remain unnamed that is actually, has actually created a specific scholarship for ED candidates. <laughs> Deb Donnelly, thank you for joining us. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker worker of yours. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Israel takes action against the United Nations following comments about the war with Hamas. Residents of a community on Chicago's southwest side weigh in on a plan for a migrant encampment. In Personal Finance Wednesday, deciding when to take investment advice with a grain of salt and spouting political opinions at work can be hazardous to your employment health. WBBM 
business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 107 points. The Nasdaq is down 296. The S&P 500 down 59. We have 63 degrees right now with light rain going up to 68 today. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, Israel says it is banning representatives of the United Nations from visiting the country after comments by the organization's secretary general, CBS News correspondent Ian Lee is in Tel Aviv. Israel and the UN have always had a pretty contentious relationship. Uh, Israel, this time, it seems like taking it to the next level. We heard from the UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez talking about uh, how the attack, as horrific as he says it was, and it was horrific against Israel, he said that it didn't happen within a vacuum, uh, saying that it is the result of decades of what he says is occupation of the Palestinian territories. Uh, And he says this is just something that you are bound to see. Guterres has responded to Israel's actions, saying his statement was misinterpreted and that he unequivocally condemns what he calls the horrifying and unprecedented acts of terror by Hamas. A community meeting last night focused on a proposed migrant encampment in the Brighton Park neighborhood on Chicago's southwest side. This resident voiced his concern about the conditions of the asylum seekers that they would be living under. Chicago's winter are brutal. Play migrants in the tent in such conditions, nothing short of inhumane. Other neighbors say they're upset by a lack of transparency about the project, adding they felt blindsided when construction began on the site. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are losing ground this afternoon. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Tim Grisky, Senior Portfolio Strategist with Ingalls & Snyder in New York. Tim, thank you for joining us today. And it looked like for a little while that uh, Microsoft and Boeing would drive the Dow, but uh, it seems like uh, that rally came in for a landing. <laughs> It's been a uh, tough day in the markets, Rob. Uh, We had uh, several major uh, releases of earnings, third quarter earnings, uh, specifically Google uh, and Microsoft. Microsoft had very good earnings numbers and gave a very positive outlook. Uh, Google's results were actually very good, uh, but they did reduce their outlook a little bit. And that stock is down 9% or more here uh, uh, so far today. And uh, as has been the case uh, for the last couple of months, the uh, route in the bond market continues and those yields uh, back over 5%. So uh, you're not you're going to get any relief on the interest rate front anytime soon. Well, I think the, the positive news is that the Fed is near the end of their rate hike cycle. Uh, we don't think they're quite done yet. Uh, we do have, uh, you know, a Fed meeting uh, next week. On uh, the 1st of November, uh, we'll see what they come up with. But the concern is that the Fed uh, you know, may have to raise rates again to continue to bring inflation down. Uh, and that has sent uh, the yields on bonds up, which brings their prices down. So uh, the place to be or have been in bonds is on the short term, uh, which still have very high yields, 5% or so. Uh, and those are short-term instruments. But at some point, it makes sense to go out long-term, just not today. 
Well, the Fed, I mean, the, the, what they control when it comes to interest rates is the federal funds rate, which is about uh, 5% in change. And that's the amount, uh, that's the interest rate that banks uh, can charge each other to lend money. But the prime rate for people who are borrowing, it's 8.5%. Mortgage rates are in the high sevens. Car loan rates are, are up there as well. And that's set by the bond market. And what, that's why those yields are up at 5%. What would it take to bring that number, that yield down, let's say, into the fours or threes? Or is that even possible? under these conditions? Well, I think the, the, certainly the Fed saying that they are done raising rates. I'm not sure they'll ever come out and actually say that, but indicating that Fed rate hikes are over with uh, would do a lot for the bond market and start to ease those rates down. Expectations are that the Fed might actually cut rates out in the second quarter of next year. That's always possible, but the Fed has been you know, very consistent here. They're going to stay higher for longer in terms of interest rates uh, to bring that inflation rate down, uh, which is the best thing for the economy. It's just a little painful here for anybody trying to, say, go out and buy a new house. And then uh, very quickly uh, on the mortgage front, and that is uh, it's it's kind of an interesting market conditions where uh, the, the, the housing market is basically locked up. But at the same time, the average homeowner, you know, with that mortgage, let's say they refied at two percent a couple of years ago, they're still sitting on top of a lot of home equity. They are. Uh, and. You know, they probably don't want to get rid of that very low mortgage rate. Uh, they're likely making money above that two or two and a half percent level uh, with that extra cash. So uh, that's why, you know, the housing market is pretty tight here in many parts of the country. Uh, people don't want to let go of those low mortgage rates that they have locked in. Tim Grisky, Senior Portfolio Strategist, Ingalls & Snyder, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, deciding who to listen to when looking for financial advice. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and this afternoon we're discussing sources of financial strategy and information and which advice you actually take. We welcome in Shane Gornick, partner and certified financial planner for Front Financial Planning in Downers Grove. Find them online at preparemyretirement.com. Shane, thank you for joining us today. And we are coming up on the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Christmas parties, and situations in which you might be at a party, your friend has had a couple of bourbons, and they want to talk. And they want to talk to you about some can't-miss stocks and investments. And your advice to a person getting that advice is... Uh, the advice to that is, uh, first of all, context is key. Uh, so when we meet with our clients, uh, before we're even making any kinds of recommendations, we're having long, in-depth conversations with them, trying to find out uh, the behind-the-scenes context. And a lot of times the advice that uh, people share uh, with loved ones or friends, and it's usually very well-intentioned, uh, but they might not know key important things about your specific context that might make the advice that they're giving that might seem good to them might actually be poor advice for you. And I've, I've often asked uh, this question of you and of other our other guests who are financial planners and deal with people on a daily basis that psychology must be 
70% of the job. 30% is actually plotting somebody's investments. Uh, the rest of the job is talking somebody down from some state of anxiety. And do you have a lot of conversations with clients who come in and say, like, look, a buddy of mine told me about this company or this investing strategy or it's my brother, I have to do it. I mean, is that a thing that people encounter often? It is. People do encounter it often. And the the people that are giving the advice, they're not, again, they're doing it from usually uh, from a place of caring and a place of of really trying to help somebody else out. Uh, But it's not necessarily great advice for you, even things that might seem like common sense, things like always max out your 401k or do this or don't do that. A lot of the always never type advice, the one size fits all advice we find can oftentimes be problematic. Uh, but, but ultimately, what's great for your brother or your brother-in-law or your uncle or something that they invested in or something that they did uh, might be great for them, and it might be awful for you. And so uh, it's just really important when you're getting advice, strongly recommend working with a financial planner, making sure that you're, you're uh, having a chance to share a lot of your context and your background uh, and the thing is, with family and friends, finances are oftentimes a taboo subject. You know, people don't like to share what they've got going on financially. And so for people that you either know or that might be uh, part of your family, they might not know these things. Or they probably don't about the ba- things that you've got going on in the background. And so they might be giving you advice that they think is good, but in, in many situations might not be the best fit for you personally. Shane Gornick, partner, certified financial planner, Forefront Financial Planning in Downers Grove. Thank you for joining us today. You can find him online at preparemyretirement.com. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come, the potentially dangerous mix of politics and the workplace. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. You may want to think twice before sharing your opinions on politics while in the workplace. We're joined by Paul Stark. Employment attorney at Clark Hill in Chicago. Paul, thank you for joining us today. And it seems like the pressure to opine on events that are happening in the world, that it's just greater than it used to be simply because there are so many more places where you have an audience and you can do it. you, because you have a, a Facebook account, you have a Twitter now X account, you have an Instagram account where people are constantly talking about what's happening in the world today, and uh, you can get really revved up by it, and that could result in some uh, consequences that could be bad for your employment. Absolutely. It, uh, certainly, uh, there's a lot of pl- platforms out there for uh, expressing um, political there are certainly the potential consequences that happen when uh, when you do that. And we have uh, been seeing this uh, quite a bit since the uh, Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th and the uh, subsequent counterattacks and now the state of war uh, that exists between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. And we've seen uh, some, some college students getting their uh, employment opportunities or employment offers with big law firms rescinded because of things they either said or things they posted online. What are the legal ramifications of a business either firing somebody for political speech or revoking an offer of employment? Well, the general rule is if you're working for a private sector employer uh, in the, in the, 
section, you know, where where you're not uh, a government employee, you can be fired for expressing political and social views that may be deemed uh, controversial or may be contrary to the uh, views of your employer. And uh, you can uh, suffer uh, a job loss as a result of that. Government employees are a different story, but uh, private sector employees um, do not have uh, the same uh, freedom of speech rights that uh, uh, may exist in in the public sector. What? Yeah, in the public sector. Excuse me. What is the the situation in Illinois uh, regarding political speech at the workplace and potentially uh, facing consequences for it? Political speech in, in Illinois, like uh, uh, political speech in under federal law, uh, are not protected classifications. Uh, the law in Illinois, like the law, uh, the federal law, protects things like uh, race, gender, religion, and religious beliefs, but do not protect social and political opinions that you may uh, want to express and that your may, your employer may disagree with. And since, let's say, 2005, 2006, when they opened up Facebook to everybody, have you or have other employment lawyers seen more situations in which uh, a person has been uh, sanctioned or have lost a job over uh, something they have posted on social media? Absolutely. As the uh, uh, environment becomes more politicized and people become more sensitized to uh, uh, various opinions on uh, political and social issues, we're seeing uh, more employers uh, take action when they think that uh, something is uh, unduly c- controversial or uh, uh, disruptive to the to the workplace. We're, I'm definitely seeing an increase in those kinds of employment actions. Paul Starkman, employment attorney at Clark Hill in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required, minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and the restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app.